0: Well, we are in part four this morning of our series on the cross and uh, we're going to be looking at a subject called justice today. Um, If you go into uh, the internet movie database online, it's called IMDB, and you do a search on the most popular film of all time, Uh, according to customer ratings, um, there's been 2.6 million people who have rated the particular film I'm about to tell you, Um, and the rating they have as an average across that is 9.3 out of 10. And the film might surprise you, it's a film called The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, just hands up here, anyone here in here who's seen the film, The Shawshank Redemption, there's a fair few of you that have seen it. It came out in 1994, uh, and it stars a guy called Tim Robbins, who plays a character called Andy Dufresne. Uh, and this, ca- this character, Andy Dufresne, gets wrongly convicted for a double murder uh, of his wife and her boyfriend, apparently. Um, but it's not, it's not a fair conviction, and he gets sent to uh, Shawshank, Uh, which is a state penitentiary, uh, which is the American's name for a prison. Uh, And he goes there to do uh, a double life sentence. Um, and uh, he when he's in there he meets uh, he makes friends with and meets a number of other inmates and the main other inmate that he meets is a guy called Red who is played by the actor Morgan Freeman Um, and both Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman do an absolutely super stellar job of acting their hearts out in this film it's a super super film in terms of acting and quality and so on Um, what happens to uh, Andy Dufresne in the prison is awful it's really really brutal Uh, it's a very tough environment Uh, there are some pretty hideous things that happen you know I've got to tell you it's an 18 film Uh, it's not for the nervous or faint of heart it's a really tough and gritty film Uh, violent things happen some dreadful stuff happens but it's it's very true to life kind of representation of just how badly people uh, can treat one another Uh, What happens during the film is that uh, Andy's a pretty sharp guy and he realises that he is able to help the prison workers and officers with their finances. He takes a bit of a risk one day, they're up uh, putting, um, I think it's uh, like creosote down on a roof and uh, he says to one of the prison uh, officers do you trust your wife and he takes that at first as a massive insult and they're about to throw him off the roof and he says says, no 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 what I mean is do you trust your wife with money Uh, and there's a way in which that uh, he can gain uh, tax savings by passing some of the savings across to his wife and so he gets in with the prison officers and he does a lot of their tax returns and their finances and he ends up making saving them quite a lot of money and in return for that he gets certain small favors uh, one of those favours is that he's able to uh, send and receive post uh, in the prison, uh, the head of the prison's main office and he what he does is he works out a way in which he can build up a like a new identity and so he builds up this new identity, he builds up kind of uh, new papers and he opens a, a bank account by post and he saves loads and loads of money uh, he plots his escape uh, and he does it slowly and, and deliberately over a long period of time uh, and he manages to get a room in the end cell Uh, next to a shaft that goes down in the structure of the prison uh, and he, he basically grinds a hole in the wall and then covers it with a poster so that nobody knows that the hole is there and he plots his escape on one particular very very stormy night, there's a massive thunderstorm and so what he does is he gets a bag, a waterproof bag with all of his stuff in that he's going to change into the next day he climbs through the hole, he descends down to where the sewage pipe is and as the thunder strikes he smashes the sewage pipe with a big rock and all this horrible sewage bursts out and then he basically steals himself and he climbs inside the sewage pipe and he crawls a mile and a half uh, to get out to the drainage channel where this sewage just empties into a into a fen, I think, or a gully of some kind. And he crawls all the way through and it's still pouring with rain and you know the 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 poster of the picture is him standing going like this when he gets to the end because he's basically achieved his freedom. Um, and he, he goes into town the next day and he, he's all smartly dressed, he goes and sees his bank manager who's very very polite because he's very very rich by now he withdraws all his money uh, and he drives off and he starts a new life in Mexico uh, and that's, that, that's the gist of the story. There's a little bit more to it than that though uh, his friend Red, um, they, they form a good friendship and what Andy says to him while they're still in prison is he says to Red, listen I need you to go, and, um, I, I need you to, go to this particular field that I know about and in this field there's a particular tree and under this tree there's a particular kind of set of rocks and there's one particular rock that's very distinctive and underneath that there's a box and I need you to go and look in this box and so Red does his time and at the end of the 40 years he goes and makes this journey and when he gets to the, when he gets to the box he opens the box and he finds an invitation from Andy in there to go and, in, and join him in Mexico and what he realizes is that Andy made it all up it wasn't really there all along Andy set it up for him so that he would have hope Uh, because a lot of people coming out of circumstances like that have got no hope left. Now one of the things that's so powerful about the story of the Shawshank Redemption is that despite the gritty reality that it shows, despite the brutality uh, and the awful things that they, 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 they have to witness and they go through, it also offers the possibility of hope. It offers the possibility that no matter how hard things might get, no no matter how many injustices we may end up going through, that there is the possibility of a restoration, that there is the possibility of redemption. It's called the Shawshank Redemption for a reason, that redemption is a word of uh, meaning to pluck something back that's been made into a horrible, grisly mess and make it better again and make it right again. Uh, and, and so I think these are not just the acting from these two great actors, but I think the storyline is something that's incredibly compelling for us to receive and to, and to watch. And as you watch it and you go through these, these horrible things that they have to go through, and then Andy gets his freedom and then Red gets his freedom, there's something deep inside of us that goes, no, that's, that's right. That, that's, that's, that's how it should be. Something's been restored there something's been made right when it was a horrible, horrible mess. Uh, there's an awful episode in the film where a chap called Tommy, who is also innocently, uh, you know, wrongly convicted, is in prison for murder, and it wasn't his fault. Um, he is actually set up by the prison guards and gets shot. And, and it's made to look like he was an escapee, but it's, it's not the case. It was all just a fabrication. And as part of uh, Andy going into town the following day after his escape, he actually tells the FBI everything that's wrong about the prison. And, and, this, and the story kind of, as the last ten minutes of the film rolls, you see the FBI arriving en masse to this prison, and uh, it, it's, it's a very, very dramatic story. Um, but it pulls no punches. It's very gritty. And yet, it seems to say there is the chance for hope, there is the chance for restoration, there is the chance for some kind of justice, and that's what we're looking at today, we're looking at justice and the way that justice is brought to us by how Jesus goes to the cross. Uh, In my series uh, The Cross, I'm wanting to contend that the cross is the most important thing about our faith, because it is, it just is. No matter where where, where you turn in the Bible or what you look at about the Christian faith, you cannot escape the cross. The cross sits in our minds and our hearts and our consciences all the time if we are followers of Jesus. And that, it seems to me, is really worth exploring and understanding a bit more. Now, humanly speaking, we have a system of justice that tries to match God's justice. But it doesn't go all the way, and that's one of my main points today, which is that God's system of justice is greatly superior to human justice. Um, If we look around our nation, uh, the place where possibly the highest forms of justice are carried out would be uh, a court in London called the Old Bailey. And if you look on the old bailey on the top of the on the top of the old bailey building uh, there's a statue of a, of a woman and it's painted in kind of gold leaf and she stands there and she's got one hand aloft holding a sword up in the air and the sword represents the ability to punish the ability to bring a prosecution uh, you know justice being served and in the other hand she has a set of scales and she holds these scales uh, out in her hand i think it's in her left hand and the scales are balanced the, the scales are not uneven And and the idea is that in human justice, what happens is if somebody does a wrong, then that wrong sits on one side of the scales and it kind of makes the scales go boof like that. And the scales are unfair because something wrong has happened. And then our human justice systems come along with our judges and our juries and our uh, our procedures and processes. And the aim is that the the scales are lifted back up. So that basically something is done to bring up, the injustice and to, weigh, to, to make it weigh the same so that the person who's done something wrong has to do something in order to rebalance the scales. So in other words, uh, there may be time that needs to be spent in prison behind bars, there may, there may be fines that have to be issued um, that, you know, to, to in, in order for reparations to be made, there may be court costs, there may be community service that has to be done in order that those scales r- are balanced that something is put right and and, and that's what that that symbolism on the top of the Old Bailey uh, means. Um, When we talk about justice in this country we're talking about an idea of, it's a system of making something right in a proportional way to to the way it was made wrong as far as we can make it and it's achieved through our mechanism of judges and courts and juries and we try to apply justice fairly, uh, don't we? However, the concept of justice in human terms doesn't ever really fully address things in quite the way God has in mind. Um, let me tell you a little story by way of illustration. There was a dad, uh, and the way that he encouraged his kids to do the right thing was that he, every time his kid did the wrong thing, he'd get, um, he had a kind of a piece of 2x4 wood, and he'd get a nail, and he'd bash it into the wood, every time his kid was, was, you know, was naughty, did the bad thing. And, and then every time his kid was bet, you know, did a good thing, or a, a noble thing, or, 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 or just something really exceptional, he would get the, uh, the, kind of the claw hammer nail, you know, the one with the little thing at the front, and he'd pull the nail out, and 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 this lad realised after a while that if he did good things, it kind of helped, you know, balance off the bad things. You know, it made it made things a little better. It didn't it didn't quite deal with it, but he got the idea that good things can kind of outweigh bad things. And then his dad said to him one day, you, "You're getting a good you're getting the idea here, but the, my, the reason I'm showing you this is that the holes still remain in the wood, even when I've pulled the nails out. The holes remain. And so human justice." tries to balance things out but some things can't be changed we can't necessarily change the past uh, and, and with our justice systems we try to balance things off but some aspects to do with justice actually cannot be changed now. Um, in 2012 uh, the former president of Liberia, a guy called Charles Taylor uh, was sentenced by an international tribunal to uh, 50 years in prison Uh, which is a long long sentence Um, uh, he was found guilty of aiding and abetting some of the most brutal crimes that have ever been described about in a court and i'm not going to go into them some of them are just too awful to say in a church on a sunday they're horrible Um, uh, But he was convicted of that, and uh, he went to prison, and in a sense, in going to prison, there's a sense in which some justice had been applied. But the lady who was the chief prosecutor of the case, a lady called Brenda Hollis, she said this, the sentence today does not replace amputated limbs. It does not bring back those who were murdered. And there's a sense in which justice cannot Human justice that is, cannot reconstruct or restore the past, it can only try and offer a balance. Now I want to just offer some teaching on God's uh, view of justice in this part four of uh, of the cross. Um, you can follow this along in your U Version Bible uh, apps. If you jump into your U Version Bible um, and you click on events uh, in there, you'll see Birmingham City Church is live, and all the notes from today are there, all the headings and stuff. And I'd just encourage you make your own notes as you go along, and you can refer back to that as you go along. So that's the U Version Bible app. Open that up, go to events, and then you'll see Birmingham City Church is live, and uh, you can add your own comments in there if you'd like to. First thing I want to say is that justice is a matter that is incredibly close to God's heart, hugely close. God gets really angry at injustice. It makes his blood boil. And justice is a very key biblical theme that we find throughout the scriptures in both the Old Testament and the New. The idea of justice and the idea that that God and that Jesus too get angry at injustices. Uh, We get this word woe that comes out, woe meaning huge sadness. Uh, enormous disappointment, uh, incredible damage uh, is being uh, seen uh, in, the, in the word woe, and he, God uses the word woe to describe injustice in the Old Testament. It says in Isaiah 10 verses 1 to 2, it says this, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah to the people of Israel. He says this, woe to those enacting crooked statutes, in other words, twisted laws that don't, aren't fair, and writing oppressive laws to keep the poor from getting a fair trial and to deprive the needy among my people of justice so that widows can be their spoil and they can plunder the fatherless. This is an awful picture of, uh, of society in Israel uh, that, that God has to speak through Isaiah in this way to rebuke the people of Israel for their really lousy uh, civil, you know, civilisation or society or, or culture uh, that can, you know, take stuff from widows, that can abuse orphans, uh, that can stop poor people getting a afford- uh, poor people getting a fair trial and the word woe also, I mean I could pick from any number in the Old Testament but I'm just going to pick that, that one there from Isaiah 10 the, the word woe comes up in, uh, in the New Testament from Jesus too um, in Matthew 18:7, Jesus says this and we don't often think of Jesus saying this kind of stuff, but he does woe to the world because of offences for offences will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offence comes he li- literally says it and there's so many other examples in God's Word of anger at injustice if you wanted to um Read a really strong passage on injustice. You jump into Amos chapter 4. Oh my goodness. The power of the rebuke from God through the, the prophet Amos to, uh, to the kind of the drinking cultured society at the time that was all inter- interested in partying and drinking. And then actually they had this horrendous sort of subclass of people who didn't get any of the, the breaks that they needed and were really badly treated. So it's so bad that God says, get away from me with your stinking worship. I don't want your worship, I don't want to even receive you worshipping to me today because your society is rubbish, you have really lost the plot, it's so strong, it's like wincingly strong when you read Amos, and Amos chapter 4 particularly, and Isaiah as well, Isaiah picks this up several times throughout his, throughout his writing, um, in Isaiah 58, um, uh, there's this whole thing where God denounces fasting now like you, you know you and I if we were going to do a fast we think that's kind of a good thing yeah I mean you know we're kind of getting ready to be with God we're self-denying we're kind of doing some good stuff we're, we're, we're serious about our intent with God yeah with a fast what's happened here in Isaiah 58 is he's not interested in their fasting because they're fighting and there's contention and there's strife uh, and there's awful, awful stuff going on in their, in their culture And he says, don't try and hit me with a fast. I'm not interested in your fasting. The fasting that I would like is that you break the oppression of the poor, that you set people free, that you have fair weights and measures, that you are running your society a whole lot better than you are. That's the kind of fasting that I want, says the Lord. So there are some pretty strong statements from God uh, in the Bible about making sure that justice um, is, is really woven into uh, the background culture. Before we, so, you know, and, and if it's not there, some of those things that we would have thought might impress God, like some decent worship and some fasting, phew, God's not interested. He's really not. Now what I want to say today, what's really important for our message today, is that God's idea of, the, of justice in the Bible goes a long, long way further than our human idea of justice. It's greatly superior in fact. Our word justice is a word that sort of typically comes with a lot of legal kind of bias if you like. We think of courts and judges and and, uh, processes don't we? Um, But the idea of justice in the Bible is really strongly intertwined and interconnected with the idea of righteousness. Uh, If you can imagine justice and righteousness in the Bible especially in the Old Testament they're like two sides of one coin they're very very similarly linked Uh, the Bible writers often use them interchangeably they are two different words in the Hebrew but they're like very very similar uh, in intent and meaning Uh, and the idea of God's justice involves three things and you'll see these in your your version notes number one that someone is held accountable number two that the value of something that something of value sorry is required to match the magnitude of the transgression and then number three that righteousness can bring about a full restoration to how things were meant to be or in other words, the, 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 to extend the picture of the nails and the holes actually God fills in the holes too is the idea that, that, that all of that stuff, that, all the scars and the wounds and so on they all get dealt with as well Num- so number one, God's idea of justice is that someone is held accountable number two, that something of value is required to, ma- to match the magnitude of the transgression And number three, that righteousness can bring about a full restoration of how things were meant to be. Now, in the Charles Taylor example from Liberia, somebody did get held accountable, but the punishment he received didn't really match the magnitude of the crime, if we're really honest. And there's no way that full restoration is possible. You can't put people's limbs back and you can't restore people from the dead, Uh, not, not, not normally anyway. So let's have a look at the differences between human justice and God's justice and and, and kind of note some things because we we find them in the cross of Christ. That's why this message is in this series. Uh, This message of justice is here because the cross of Christ pulls these things together and we see a justice taking place through the cross of Christ that achieves a whole lot of great things for God and is part of his intent in a kind of strange way and you wouldn't think that a a cross could do that but it it seems to do that and we'll just go through how that works so number one in in someone needing to be held accountable with God's approach to justice the someone who is held accountable is God himself it's actually God himself in the person of his son Jesus going to the cross now that's pretty strange in other words, in God's eyes, the punishment that satisfies the requirement for all the justice that is ever needed is Jesus going to the cross. That, that pays for it, and that's why the cross is so central. Human justice would ask that the person who committed the wrong would need to pay themselves. You know, like if I get a speeding fine, an SP-30, and I, you know, my points go up and, I, and all the rest of it, I'm the person that has to deal with the consequences of that. That's, that's human justice. What God's justice says is it sets up Jesus to do the paying on our behalf. And that is wildly unfair. Just think about that for a minute. Somebody else is being asked to step in to pay on your behalf. Romans 6 says it really well. Verses 6 to 9 say this in Romans 6, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved from him uh, through him from wrath from God's anger in other words Jesus is the person who is put on the cross in our place and that satisfies God's requirements for justice it's a a substitution and we're gonna get into that a little bit more next week we're gonna unpack what substitutionary atonement means fully uh, but we're focused today on justice now that's a massive difference from human justice because it means that we are effectively let off all our crimes with Jesus Every single one of us in this room, we've got a track record of kind of good and bad, haven't we? But all the bad stuff, that has actually been let off the moment you decided to choose to follow Jesus. It's gone. It's wiped away. It's dealt with. It's a ridiculously and spectacularly good deal from God, I've got to tell you. It really is. It's an amazing thing. Um, If you just think about it, you know, who wouldn't love the idea of going to court Having a sentence handed down, not so good so far, and then somebody standing up and saying, I'll, I'll take that for you, Nick. And it's not a joke and it's not a gag and it's not like some candid camera sketch where I'm all surprised and there's a reaction from the audience, it's the real deal. Somebody is offering to step into my place and to take that punishment on my behalf. And it works before God, it has validity before God. You'd be bonkers not to say that that's a good option, amen? God Himself, as the just judge, is effectively absorbing the punishment that was due to us into Himself by offering us His Son. That's crazy. Crazy, crazy logic. So, number one, someone needs to be held accountable, and in God's eyes, it's Jesus, not us. Number two, something of value needs to be given. Something of value needs to be given. The thing of value that is needed. That, that, that in justice, something of value needs to be given in order to match the magnitude of the wrongdoing but in God's eyes that thing or person which is offered is Jesus and I just want to put it to you that Jesus is the most precious thing that exists in the cosmos, in, in human time and in eternal time now what does that tell us about the magnitude of our wrongs? if God is is satisfied with Jesus then it tells me that and he is the most precious thing that there ever ever is or ever was or ever will be and that tells me that the magnitude of our wrongs is pretty massive and it's unpayable Um, but it's also enough it also tells me that it's enough we're never left wondering or in doubt whether the payment in a justice system is adequate because we know that God has given his best his most precious it's the biggest thing with the most magnitude that deals with the wrongdoing. You know, in our human system of, uh, of a fine or a prison sentence under human judgment, we sometimes get these cases, don't we, where we're in, in the paper and we think, wow, that seems like a short sentence. You know, like, let's say, for instance, somebody's got involved in a fist fight outside a chip shop and then unfortunately a punch has been landed and someone's been left with, in a coma for six months. Uh, and then and, the, and then the per- we hear later that the person's got like sort of 3 weeks community service and we think hold on a minute <laughs> that doesn't match the crime this person was really really out of it for a really long time and you've just they've got off with hardly anything what we find with with god's system of justice is that because it's the most precious and the most valuable thing ever the person of his son the payment is full and it's adequate there's never any doubt as to whether the payment is enough, because it is enough because it's Jesus. And that's very, very important for us to understand and receive. In God giving us His own Son, how could anyone ever say that that's not enough? because it is? Uh, one Peter one, 18, 20, uh, sorry one Peter one uh, verses 18 to 20 says this. And this is a a statement of the preciousness of how the punishment, which should have been ours, has been dealt with. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. The preciousness is enormous. Uh, and if you think about that parable of the unforgiving servant the whole deal about that parable is that the debt he owes is just colossal it's the biggest thing, you know, it's unimaginably large the writer, you know, Jesus makes the point that the, the, the debt is vast you know, take 4,000 years to pay off kind of thing but that, that, what Jesus is trying to say is that the payment is also vast the worth of the payment is as colossal as the, as the size of the debt and that's God's sense of justice in action right there So, number one, someone needs to be held accountable, but in God's system it's Jesus. Number two, something of value needs to be given, but in God's system of judgment is something incredibly valuable for which there is no parallel whatsoever. No parallel. Nothing comes even close. We sang it, didn't we? Nothing comes close to who Jesus is. Jesus, take your place. And thirdly, righteousness can bring restoration. And this is another significant area where God's sense of righteousness goes way beyond ours. You know, in life there are some crimes committed for which no restoration seems possible, but in Jesus going to the cross, um, God makes righteousness possible in two ways for us, actually. The cross kind of is like a kind of doorway. It It makes righteousness a possibility in the future, a bit like Andy Dufresne ending up in Mexico on the beach. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute, but it also makes righteousness possible for us ourselves now. Let me explain the first one of those first. With God, this life is not all there is. And praise be for that. It's not all that there is. The cross is the passport to an eternal destiny in which things are very, very, very different when we think about justice. There is a destiny beyond this life in which we are given a promise that all things will be made right. All things will be made right. If you don't believe in God and if you don't believe in Jesus and you don't believe in the afterlife, you've got a really raw deal with justice. However, if you receive Jesus and what he's done on the cross for you and you follow after him in your life, you have a fantastic deal with justice. That's the difference. That's the difference right there. 2 Peter 3.13 says this, But in keeping with his promise, this is Jesus' promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What is coming in the afterlife is a place where there is no injustice. No injustice at all. And that's part of what God promises us in Jesus going to the cross and coming out the other side. When Jesus gets raised from the dead, we get shown the journey that we're all going to go through too. And then we get ushered into a life where injustice uh, is not applicable anymore. And we don't have to wrestle with its fallout. Revelation 21, 4 says this, He, and that's God himself, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The Bible promises a better and another order of existence, beyond this time in which... Justice is just not an issue because everything wrong will be addressed and made right. But we also have another thing. We have an assurance from God that as we receive Jesus, we get the righteousness of God, uh, the rightness that is in Jesus put onto us. And that happens the day that you decide to start following Jesus. And that has big implications for justice as well because righteousness starts to run with us we're not sort of stuck in sin we're not stuck doing the wrong things we have a righteousness upon us which comes from Jesus so that when God looks at us uh, he sees Jesus because Jesus has taken everything off of us that was wrong and that therefore leaves us pristine in front of God in front of his eyes like if you go to a court and all your crimes are, are declared completely gone what does that make you? it makes you innocent doesn't it? it makes you clean it makes you okay it makes you right before everybody And that means that, you know, when we start to follow Jesus and we we put him first in our lives, we are made clean, we are made pristine, we are made righteous, we have the righteousness of God placed upon us. You know, if justice has been served on our behalf already by Jesus, which it has at the cross, then that makes us right with God. And what higher authority is there than God? Therefore, we are righteous. Paul sums it up in what I think is one of the most powerful and hard-hitting verses in the New Testament. Really great verse, this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made the one, that's Jesus, who did not know sin, because he was faultless, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So righteousness opened the restoration of God. God's plan for justice is that it has a restoration about it. And there's two halves to that one is in the future into eternity the other is that we get made righteous right now as we follow after Jesus and both of those things kind of run together Uh, one of them runs up until the end of our mortal life and the other one takes over when we go into eternity it's incredible we are not subject to legality anymore in Jesus. Now I'm not saying that we we don't have the capacity to do the wrong thing. I'm not saying that society won't sometimes try us or put us on trial. That could still happen, you know, and and those human justice systems may well unfold for us. But in terms of our receiving of Jesus and following after him, justice-wise, we are made right with God. Let me just summarize God's justice versus our justice. Number one, someone is held accountable and it's Jesus, not us. Number two, something of value is required to match the magnitude of the transgression and what we find is that the value is colossally off the scale because it's Jesus and therefore we know that the justice must have been fully paid and thirdly the righteous uh, there's a righteousness to God's justice that is designed to bring about a restoration of what was meant to be not just a punishment we think of justice as right you're gonna to get told off and do five years Uh, because of what you did. And that's true and right. But God's justice says, yeah, you'll get told off and do five years, but I want you to go on a journey where that doesn't happen with your life anymore. I want you to be restored and redeemed. I want you to be set free from a pattern that says you do do stealing or joyriding or whatever it is. I want you to get your life back on track because that's my heart for you. My heart is that you get restored. I'm going to suggest three responses to this idea of justice because justice feels like quite a high-powered deal, doesn't it? we might be sitting there today thinking well that's all great Nick and quite a theological message but how does it apply to me I'm going to suggest three ways that we might respond to the idea of justice in practical terms and these three ways are as follows let's keep perspective let's keep on offering forgiveness and let's keep on working towards restoration so let's keep perspective let's offer forgiveness and let's work towards restoration Um, What I mean by perspective is let's keep our gaze on the big picture of things. Uh, That makes a big difference, doesn't it, if we can keep our perspective right. Um, So at the end of my road, um, I have a T-junction, okay? It's like kind of half a mile down the end of my road. And so I drive to the end of my road, and then it goes right and left. And on this corner just here, there's a Texaco garage. And this Texaco garage has an entrance on this side, on the road that I'm waiting on in the morning, but it also has an entrance over here as well. And so enterprising, cheating drivers who feel that they need an extra 30 seconds in the office um, will overtake sometimes, uh, where I'm sitting patiently waiting to turn right on the proper road. The proper road, can I just remind everybody, that's the proper road. But what they do is they go through the garage forecourt, pretend to have petrol, but they don't stop, and then they just go out on this other side over here. And then the other drivers over there go, oh wow, you had petrol this morning, I'll let you in. And of course they then get like 30 cars ahead and can I say that that drives me crazy and I'm sitting there seething and sounding off to my wife about the injustice of such a system and I, I even, I've even thought about speaking to Texaco and putting little bollards that you can only drive one way I mean I mean it's gone a long way in my head can I just say that <laughs> and one day I was really annoyed about this and I felt the Holy Spirit say he never speaks to me in an audible." well I'll never say never but he, he doesn't usually speak to me in an audible voice and I felt the Holy Spirit say You need to get angry about some slightly bigger stuff, buddy. (laughs) Really, seriously. You need to get annoyed about big things, not small things. You need to lift your gaze. Why don't you get angry about the fact that 50% of the people in our prisons have got dyslexia? Did you know that, church? only 10% of the general population struggle with dyslexia 50% of the people who are incarcerated struggle with dyslexia that is structural injustice right there that tells me that in our school system we are not identifying the impact of dyslexia properly and what's happening is people are going out and getting into trouble in ways that they never intended simply because they find it hard to read uh, language or to, to understand numbers that is wrong, full stop get angry about that don't get angry about parking or cars, please. Get angry about the fact that 1.7 million people in this country in this last month had to go without food for an entire day because they simply can't afford to eat. Get angry about that. Don't get angry about whether people have cheated on the core. Lift your gaze and my appeal to all of us is to get a perspective that matches God's perspective about things. When God gets cross with the people in Amos and in Isaiah it's because they've lost perspective and they can't see the big picture. Their culture has got problems that they're not addressing and my call to us is that we need to address some of those bigger problems in our culture in order for there to be justice to prevail. Can I gently say to some of us, all of us listening in in the room, only one third of the volunteers in our food bank attend this church just going to put it out there treading on your toes a bit I, I asked Ian specifically how many people volunteer in our food bank from BCC and it's now down to a third we have this flagship ministry and it's run by two thirds people who don't come to this church who think it's great and come in from outside to help us out and praise God that they do and if you want to help Ian in the food bank he is struggling for volunteers please go and see him afterwards and sign up there are options to work in the evening, there's options to work in the day. We would love that. Let's address some of these things directly on our own doorstep. So number one, let's keep some perspective. Number two, offering forgiveness. One of the most practical ways you can deal with the issue of injustice is to practice forgiving people. We all struggle with things where things have been done wrong to us. We all feel terrible as a result of how people have treated us. But we've got to learn somehow to let that go and give it back to God. We have to have that ability somewhere to say, I I can see that what Jesus did on the cross was he let it go and gave it back to God. He said, forgive them for, for they don't know what they're doing. That was one of the most magnanimous statements in history. From the cross itself to say that I forgive you. And that should inspire us and encourage us to try and offer forgiveness to those people who have done us wrong. And the great and wonderful surprise for some of us who've really struggled with that is that we find freedom after it. If we can release a person in forgiveness, we say, I forgive you, person X, for for Z that you did to me, uh, and it made me feel Y, you know, X, Y, Z kind of, you know, structure. That's not a bad prayer to pray. It's, It's a helpful way of doing it and it releases, it releases people back to God and guess what, God does the justice administration on your behalf way way better than you can he does it with mercy, with wisdom, with full knowledge, with perspective on that person's life the minute we get into trying to exact justice ourselves and take revenge, oh it goes wrong, it's not good and also it makes us bitter on the inside forgiveness is key, we've got to be able to release people in forgiveness genuinely to God And the way that we do that is we simply say a prayer and we say, Lord, would you take this situation off me? This person hurt me. Would you deal with it on my behalf? And a sure sign that we need to do it again is that perhaps the feelings come back six months later and we're still angry on the inside. And if our feelings keep coming back on forgiveness issues, that's the sign that we need to remind our feelings about our decisions, yeah? (laughs) Because our our feelings actually follow our decisions, did you know that? you make a decision and then your feeling tags along behind very often and in forgiveness it's no different from any other thing like that. You know my, my feeling first thing on a Monday morning when I go for a run is I don't want to do this <laughs> and then I get two miles round and then I'm like oh, yeah, I'm okay now, my feelings are caught up. Forgiveness is just the same I don't want to do this, I don't want to forgive you, you really hurt me, that was awful what you said and then when you do it you find that your feelings catch up and you feel peace towards that person. And I recommend and advise and encourage and urge forgiveness. And lastly, I'm going to ask the worship team just to return. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just going to talk briefly about working towards restoration. In God's idea of justice, restoration is what's key. Not so much punishment, actually, because Jesus takes the punishment. And so God's heart is that because there's someone who's taken the punishment already, what do we do with you now? Let's take you forward into your new life. Let's take you forward into the possibilities that, that, that are lying ahead of you. How can we rebuild things for you? That's God's heart on this. Uh, I, I'm just going to close with a, a brief story and then we're going to stand and sing and respond a little bit. But just one of the, the great, I think, one of the great things that we've seen in our recent history that demonstrates the, the journey of restoration has been the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. In the, in the 90s, uh, uh, Mandela got elected in 1993 and one of the things that he realized was that there was going to need to be a lot of healing in that nation between all of the atrocities committed under apartheid um, and then also some of the wrongs that were committed in response to apartheid it wasn't all just one-sided although it was very one-sided there were some things that weren't right on, on the other side too and he appointed Archbishop Desmond Tutu as the chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the deal with the, with this commission was that you could come forward and you would gain an amnesty from any punishments or court sentences or prison or whatever if you simply told the truth in front of witnesses as to what you did. And this process went on for a long time, over many, many years, I think for a good four or five years in mid to late 90s. And lots and lots of people came forward and confessed the things that they had done wrong and very often it was to and in front of the people that had had the wrongs done to them and as a form of justice you might want to say well where were the prison sentences where were the punishments for the deaths that were that were caused or for the violence that was committed and and you'd be right to say that but actually as a process i think it was very very healing because what, what it meant was that people actually heard their, their, their perpetrator of the crime that was committed against them saying what it was that had been done. And when you hear the perpetrator of, of the crime say it and there's upset in the room and its people are aghast and there's, there's tears flowing, it helps. It helps because there's an acknowledgement that something wrong happened. Something wrong went on and it helps because it puts us back into a moral realm again. You see, the difficulty with a punishment and somebody disappearing off to prison is you don't have that dialogue necessarily. That's very hard to broker. But actually, dialogue brings us back into civilized company, doesn't it? Attempting to talk restores things. There's a very good book by a guy called Bessel van der, van der, van der Kolk, I think his name is, K-O-L-K and uh, the first name is spelt B-E-S-S-E-L if you want to look him up on Amazon and buy his book it's awesome it's called The Body Keeps the Score and it's about trauma he's a clinical psychologist and what he says is that in trauma uh, what we do to cope with trauma is we put really hard stuff that's happened to us in quite um, uh, basic parts of our brain in order to protect the higher functioning parts of our brain so that we can continue living <laughs> we need to be able to make decisions and arrive at strategic de- uh, you know, decisions and things like you know uh, and, and live our lives and we need a, f- a higher functioning part of our brain and so what happens in trauma like a you know a horrible attack or an explosion or you know dreadful things happening to us is we package that away in a very old and primal part of our brain Uh, it's not good at processing things in a fine way but what happens is it sits there and it doesn't get processed properly and it has to be unpacked but dialogue helps it be unpacked you know, knowing what you know and feeling what you feel is a huge step forward in handling trauma that's going to be big for some people here today knowing what you know and feeling what you feel And having words that go with that is a major step forward in healing. And what the the Truth and Reconciliation Commission were able to do was to provide some kind of a restorative justice that pointed at that. Now, it wasn't perfect, but it's one of the best things the world has ever seen in terms of godly justice. Not justice that just punishes and puts away and you serve your time, but justice that restores things to how they were meant to be. Would you all stand with me? We're going to sing in response to this message and then we're going to offer some responses. Amen. Thank you, worship team.